All right, so this is the fourth installment of our Matthew 24 series regarding the end times. The first message was uh, false messiahs and wars and rumors of wars. The second message was false prophets and uh, persecution of the saints. The third message was the parable of the fig tree, which is embedded within Matthew 24. And I was going to talk about the Galilean wedding, which was touched upon in the passages we read. But because last week we kind of ended with some uncertainty and some questions, I figured it would be a good time to deal with the rundown of the return of Messiah. So we're specifically going to deal with the second coming. Now, for the vast majority of churches out there, they're probably going to give a pre-tribulation rapture uh, scenario for the end times. I don't take that route. Um, that's the way I was taught. That's the way I was raised. But I had a very disturbing dream that set me on a totally different path eschatologically regarding the end times. Um, it was uh, not too long after Pam and I were married, and I remember the dream was so real. I dreamt that the rapture didn't take place when everybody thought it was supposed to. And there was a lot of Christians that become angry and disgruntled and hurt because they never thought they would have to endure the tribulation. They went to the streets like mob, like a mob, you know, like pitchforks and torches and, you know, tar and feather, the whole nine yards. And they would go to ministers' houses in the middle of the night, drag them out and beat them in the street. And all I heard was, you lied to us. You lied to us. You said that we wouldn't have to go through this. And I woke up in a cold sweat and I was like, what in the heck was that? And so I begin my study on the end times and I come to find out that the pre-tribulation theory of the end times and of the rapture is barely 200 years old. It's the Johnny-come-lately of end-time theories and end-time beliefs. Um, Mid-post-tribulation, in other words, the rapture happening in the middle of the tribulation, and post-tribulation, the rapture happening after the tribulation, which I subscribe to, um, was definitely more popular and a lot older, much, much older than the pre-tribulation. Now, I've told people who are pre-trib, I'm not against you. I hope you're right. I want you to be right because none of us want to go through the tribulation. But we think of uh, why are we so special? Why would we be exempt from tribulation? Because our brothers and sisters in North Korea, China, Saudi Arabia, and Muslim-majority countries, Hindu-majority countries, and communist countries, they're going through tribulation right now. They're being persecuted now. Um, I just think the way things are going in Canada and the United States, it's not going to be too long before we are actively persecuted, even more so than we're being persecuted now. So um, I've told people that if the rapture happens and it's all pre-trib and we're flying up, you can go ahead and point at me and laugh and say, ha ha, told you so. I'd say, all right, you, you know, you got me. Uh, but the way I understand the scriptures, I think it's pretty clear uh, that uh, the rapture happens after the tribulation. And there's a lot of things that happen all at the same time, which kind of makes it a little confusing because there's things that are happening simultaneously and we like to divide it up 
to happen in different places and spots. So let me give you a quick rundown of things that are going to happen all at the same time. And then we're going to slowly break it down. So immediately after the tribulation, according to Matthew 24, uh, 29 and Mark 13, 24, they specifically say, especially in the King James, uh, the New American Standard, which is the most literal translation, and the Christian Standard Bible and others will say immediately after the tribulation or after the tribulation of that day, you know, and it basically goes into the return of the Son of Man. So th these things are going to happen simultaneously. The Messiah is going to appear in the sky. There will be a final trumpet. There will be the resurrection of the dead. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up. And all this is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, in an instant. Now, where people get off track and people get confused, because a lot of people will agree that Messiah is appearing in the sky, the final trumpet, the resurrection of the dead, and the rapture of those who are left. Um, they all agree that that happens all at once. But what they fail to understand is that the rapture, what, what we know as the rapture. Now, the word rapture you will not find in the scripture. That's just something that we, that's a term that we have given to this event because it means to be called away or to be snatched away. But the word rapture doesn't appear in scripture. <clears throat> but what we call the rapture or what is described as the rapture is clearly found in scripture. So what, what also happens simultaneously is when the rapture takes place, the battle of Armageddon happens as well. So we're, we're going to get into that, and I'm going to get into the scriptures that, that uh, uh, deal with that. So when Messiah comes with the heavenly armies and the saints that have gone on before, we will meet them in the air and then do battle uh, against God's enemies on earth. So the rapture and the battle of Armageddon happen simultaneously. So let's deal with that first, because that's a lot of events that happen instantly. So I've already uh, cited the scripture, so we won't turn there, but I've already cited Matthew 24, uh, 29, and Mark 13, 24, which says after the tribulation. So after the tribulation, these things will happen. Other translations will say after the time of trouble, but it's the word that we understand and know as the tribulation, you know, what's going to happen in the end days. That's what that means. So. Let's deal with the Messiah appearing in the sky. So I'm going to go to a very unlikely source because a lot of this is actually found in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We're very familiar with the New Testament. Oh, you know, we, we, we talk about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it talks about the return of Christ, resurrection of the dead, all that, last trumpet. But a lot of people don't realize that whatever's in the New Testament was first in the Old. It's just elaborated or explained more in the New Testament. So in Daniel chapter 7 <clears throat> verses 13 and 14 deal with Messiah appearing in the sky. So we know that Daniel, when, uh, whenever somebody studies the book of Revelation, many times they'll study Daniel at the same time because Daniel and Revelation are very closely linked together. They talk about very much the same things. So in Daniel chapter 7, <laughs> Verses 13 and 14, it says, I was watching in the night vision. Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. So we have two figures here. The Son of Man, which is Yeshua, the Son of God, 
He approached the Ancient of Days. That's another way of saying God, God the Father. He approached the Ancient of Days and was brought into his presence. Dominion, glory, and sovereignty were given to him that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Now, what's, what's verse 14 talking about? It's talking about the Son of Man appearing in the clouds, in other words, the return of Christ. But then it jumps to the millennial reign because it's saying that uh, he approached the Ancient of Days and was brought into his presence. And so dominion, glory, and sovereignty were given to him that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Because from the millennial reign, then you're going to have that short time where Satan is loosed to try to deceive the rest of the nations that remain during the millennial reign. And then it's going to be the new heaven and a new earth. So his reign is going to be from that time on forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So that verse talks about the Messiah appearing in the sky. But then also what we know of Matthew 24, which has been our focus text for the last several weeks. Matthew 24, verse 31, tells us, He will send out his angels with a great shofar, that is a ram's horn. A lot of translations will say trumpet. And they will gather together his chosen from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. And that's not the verse that I was going to read. Where are we, Matthew? What? 24. Uh, let's jump to verse 29. Let's read that because that's where I meant to begin. So this is still under the heading, Messiah will appear in the sky. So Matthew 24, 29 says, but immediately after the tribulation, our translation says the trouble of those days, but the word is tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation. So that is a indicator of when the Lord's going to return after the tribulation. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man. Where did we read that title, Son of Man? We just read it in Daniel chapter 7, didn't we? Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and the sign is he will return on the clouds. That's the sign. And then the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a great shofar, so that's the last trumpet. They will gather together his chosen from the four winds, that's the rapture, from one end of heaven to another. So still under the heading of Messiah appearing in the sky, we go to 1 Thessalonians. Now I'm going to be going through scriptures really fast. Uh, because for the sake of time. So if you don't feel like following me there, that's okay. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of God's shofar, his trumpet, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. Yeah, it made me think of the crucifixion when the earthquake happened and the tombs were open and people came back to life during that time and went into the city. Then those who are alive and remain, the King James says, here it says left behind. So the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us who are living, we will be caught up together. That's the word that we describe the rapture, to be caught up. 
We will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So from that time on, we're always going to be in the presence of the Lord. But we're going to be in his presence in the midst of the battle of Armageddon. We're called up to, to meet him in the sky with the saints that have gone on before, with the dead that were just raised, and with the heavenly armies of angels. And we're going to be fighting the battle of Armageddon with them. And it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that's under the heading of Messiah will appear in the sky. The next thing is that there will be a final trumpet. And we've already read many of those verses already. Uh, Matthew 24, 31, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Uh, but there's also uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, which says, In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, sometimes you can bat your eye, eye so fast that you can't see it. You know, it just happens really quickly. That's what it's talking about, how fast. Or it's also talking about how sometimes... Uh, you'll be outside and there'll be a twinkle in somebody's eye because the light reflects off of the, 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 their moist eye. That's a twinkling. It's just a sparkle, just a split second, an instant. So it says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last shofar, the last trumpet, for the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So in other words, they're going to be raised with a new body. Now, we who are alive and remain, we're going to get a new body too, but we will be transfigured. Just as Jesus, Yeshua, was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, that is Mount Hermon, um, we will be transfigured. So it says, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corrupt corruptible must put on incorruptibility. So in order for us to be in the presence of God, we have to be changed. Our flesh has to be changed. We can no longer bear this sinful fleshly body. It's got to be transformed into the same type of body that Jesus rose from the dead with, a body that will live and last forever, never get sick. For the corruptible must put on incorruptibility, and this mortal, which mortal means you die, right? This mortal must put on immortality, meaning that you're going to live forever. Okay, so we'll stop right there. So this, under the heading of there will be a final trumpet, I'll also refer really quickly to Revelation 11. Revelation 11.15 kind of mentions this or hints about this. So in Revelation 11.15, it says, The seventh angel trumpeted. And, there, and so the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. Because we know in the book of Revelation there are seven trumpets that are blown. So the seventh one is the last one. It's the final one. The seventh angel trumpeted. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of the Lord. So why is he returning? To reclaim the earth. Yeah. You know, to take it away from the prince of the power of the air and the God of this world, which is Satan. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his anointed one, that is Yeshua, Jesus Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Because we know that Yeshua, Jesus, is prophet, priest, and king. He's all three rolled into one, and that's all under the title of Messiah. Now, there's actually another Old Testament passage, uh, an unlikely source for um, this last trumpet or the final trumpet, if I can find it here. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 27, 13, it says, 
It will also come about that in that day a great shofar, a great trumpet, will be blown. Those perishing in the land of Assyria and the exiles in the land of Egypt will come and worship Adonai on his holy mountain in Jerusalem. So when it talked about the rapture, that the angels are going to go out and gather all the people from the four corners of the earth, that's kind of what this is talking about. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air, but when he sets up his kingdom on earth, because we'll f forever be with the Lord, he'll reign from that third temple, and uh, we'll worship on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So that's all under the heading of the final trumpet. Now we move on to, then there will be a resurrection of the dead. And we just kind of read some of those passages. We've already read uh, 1, Corinthians, or, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 55 about the resurrection of the dead. We'll have our new bodies at that point. Yeah, once we're raptured, we're going to have our new bodies. I was going to say, because I don't think this physical body can even exist in the presence of God. That's exactly why we have to be transformed. So we're going to leave our mortal, sinful flesh behind, and we're going to be transfigured, those who are alive and remain, those that are resurrected from the dead, They'll, re they'll rise with the same type of body that Jesus rose with, yeah. one that could never die or get sick or hurt. So, is it ethereal? No, no, no. It's physical. Jesus okay, wasn't ethereal. This because the conversation I had with Aaron last, uh, last uh, Saturday. Now, see, we, won't, we don't fully understand our resurrected body properties because we know all we can do is take example from Christ because he is the firstborn, Colossians says, the firstborn from among the dead. So he is the template. So the same type of body that Jesus rose with, we're going to have. Whether we rise from the dead or we're transfigured at the moment of the rapture, if we're still alive when that happens, we're going to be transformed. We're going to have our new bodies in that instant. Now those bodies, because of what Jesus did, it was able to travel at the speed of thought. Because in one instance, Jesus is in Galilee, I think, and then all, all of a sudden he appears on the road of Emma to Emmaus. And then he disappears from there and goes somewhere else. And then some instances, he just appears out of thin air in the upper room where the disciples are so he can travel at the speed of thought. Apparently, we have control over the molecules in our body to where we'll be able to walk through walls, pass through walls, because that's what Jesus did. Um, but you can still eat and drink because they're like, oh, wait, are we seeing a ghost here? He says, no, 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 touch my nail prints. Put your hand in my side. See that I am flesh and bone. Look, give me something to eat. Can ghosts eat? Can spirits eat? Give me something to eat. So they gave him a piece of fish, right? And they're like, oh, okay, well, he did rise from the dead. So, yeah, it won't be ethereal. It'll be a, a real body. It'll be the type of body maybe even that Adam had. Because who knows what Adam could have done if he never sinned. We didn't get into much detail of that, but the whole thing is that he's going to reset everything back to an Edenic state back to a paradise back to a perfection so that's been the whole, the goal the whole time so we have the resurrection of the dead so we read some of those passages but i'll get right. into a few more <laughs> so in revelation uh 20 verses 4 through 6 it talks about the resurrection of the dead uh revelation 20 verses 4 and 6 then i saw thrones and people sat on them those to whom Wait, maybe is this okay? Okay, yep, this is it. All right. Then I saw thrones and people sat upon them, those to whom authority to judge was given. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded. Now, when were they beheaded? They were beheaded during the tribulation. 
they were beheaded during the seven years where the beast was ruling and reigning and all this bad stuff was going on. They were martyrs. I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony for Yeshua and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, nor had received his mark on their forehead or their right or their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Messiah for a thousand years. When did they come to life? When Jesus returned with a rapture. And the Battle of Armageddon took place. And immediately after the Battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign starts. For a thousand years. For a thousand years. So Satan was thrown into the pit. He was locked up. Yeah, he was locked up for. Time. Yeah, he was locked up for a thousand years. Yep. And uh, all right, so continue with the verse five. The rest of the dead, meaning those that were a lot, that's going to be alive during the millennium, they're they're still going to be born. They're still going to die. So they're going to have to wait until after the millennium before those who believe during the millennial reign is resurrected. Because you're still going to have a chance to believe during the millennium. And you're still going to have a chance not to believe. You're still going to have a choice whether you worship God or not. Because in Zechariah, it says that if they don't come to Jerusalem to give their sacrifice during the Feast of Tabernacles, they're not going to get rain for their land. So they have a choice whether they worship and serve God or not. So that's why when Satan is released... After the thousand years, he's going to have a chance to deceive those who still didn't end up believing during those thousand years. And I can't understand how that's going to be, because if Jesus Christ is right there ruling and reigning, how can you not believe him? But I mean, it has to be a bad choice. Yeah. But didn't you? It's the same thing with the Israelites, because God was right there. (laughs) That's right. And flames. Exactly. You know, and with everything that he did. There should have been nobody that didn't believe, but they didn't. Exactly. That's a very good point. Deception exists even in the presence of God. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing about free will. We have a free choice whether to choose him or not, worship him or not. God does not want a bunch of robots and automatons worshiping him because you can't get real love from if you're programmed or forced to. You know? So, anyway. A little off topic, but yeah, great, great uh, comments there. Uh, okay, so uh, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So they're still going to be living and dying, people being born, people die. But those who were resurrected at the rapture, uh, whether they were beheaded or whether they were already dead prior or those who were transfigured that are alive and remain, we're going to live for those thousand years because it says we'll forever be with the Lord. We're not going to die. So it says, this is the first resurrection. How fortunate and holy is one who has the share in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no authority. But they shall be Kohanim, that is, priests of God and the Messiah, and they shall reign with him for a thousand years. So originally, God wanted all of the Israelites to be priests. It was originally the firstborn, no matter what tribe you were from, that you were the priest. But because the firstborn... Uh, several of the firstborn of the tribes rebelled, that priestly task now fell to Levi, and they have been the priestly clan. But we know there's an uh, older, more authoritative order of priesthood that supersedes Levites, and that is the order of Melchizedek, which Melchizedek came from Noah's son Shem. And so we know that Yeshua is not a Levite, he's he's from Judah, So he is a priest forever, according to Melchizedek, as it says in the book of Hebrews. So he is an older, more authoritative priesthood. So it's almost as if it's saying that the Melchizedekian priesthood, which means it could be a priest from any tribe, 
uh, as long as they're uh, a descendant of Abraham or grafted in, that they're going to be priests. And this backs it up here in Revelation where it says that we who uh, are resurrected or transfigured at the time of the rapture, that we're not going to die. And it says we're going to be priests of God and Messiah, and they shall reign with him for a thousand years. So that's some pretty awesome stuff right there. Uh, so, all right, now there's more Old Testament passages that deal with the resurrection of the dead. One of them is very familiar. It's Ezekiel 37 about the Valley of Dry Bones. So one thing you've got to remember about prophecy, you can't pigeonhole a prophecy and say, this is only about this, and it can't be about anything else. Because prophecy is multifunctional, multifaceted. So, for instance, when Jesus was talking about um, you know, the abomination of desolation that was talked about in Daniel, he was specifically referring to A.D. 70 and the destruction of the temple and during the time of the Maccabees when Antiochus Epiphanes put his statue in the temple and they sacrificed a pig on the altar. But that's not only what that was talking about. That's talking about in the future time when the beast himself will go into the temple and say, hey, I'm God. So it's a dual prophecy. So I believe um, Ezekiel 37 is a dual prophecy. It's talking about the rebirth of Israel because they were lost to history, lost to the exiles. And all of a sudden in 1948, they were born again and, and, and became a nation. And uh, it's like they came back from the dead. Hebrew is the only dead language that resurrected from the dead and we still now speak today. But Ezekiel 37, I think also hints about this time of the resurrection of the dead during the time of the uh, coming of the Lord. I think it hints about that because it talks about these dry bones coming to life and becoming an army. Well, when we meet the Lord in the air, we instantly get drafted into his heavenly army. Hope he teaches us how to fight real fast. I, I think it'll be like the Matrix. We'll just know. You know how the Matrix I where he got so. plugged in? Keanu Reeves, you know, Neo, he goes like, yeah. whoa. I know ju I know jujitsu or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Probably be like one of those deals. I still can't wrap around the, my head around uh, Satan being released after a thousand years. I don't understand, and I know it's not up. It's, I know I can't understand it. Well, I think it's I think it's just to emphasize that even during the millennial reign, when God rules, Jesus rules, He's still emphasizing you still have a choice. It's still, I'm not going to make you serve me. I'm not going to make you worship me. So here's a chance. You got A or B, okay, Coke or Pepsi. That I understand. Yeah, and I think that's why Satan's going to be released because people are going to have the right to choose their, their eternal destiny and, okay. and their, who their God is. All right, now I understand. Well, I waited that long. Yeah, well, if well, yeah. today is the day of salvation, but during the millennial reign, it's going to be a different I world. Unchain him, but then, but by releasing him, you're allowing people in, in the knowledge that they possess at that moment in time when he's released, <laughs> then they have a real true choice. Right, exactly. So, yeah. So uh, in, um, in Hosea, another unlikely source for an end-time prophecy, in Hosea, Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, it reads, should I ransom them from the land, from the hand of Sheol, that is death, hell, the grave? Should I redeem them? Uh, am I reading the right one there? Should I redeem them from death 
O death, where is your plagues? O Sheol, that is grave or the hell, where is your sting? So yeah, this is still, we're still under the heading of the resurrection of the dead. So that's why I'm reading this. Should I ransom them from the hand of Sheol, that is hell or the grave? Should I redeem them from death? O death, where is your plagues? O Sheol, death, hell, where is your sting? Comfort is hidden from my eyes. So that's another hint of the resurrection of the dead. Job even hints of the resurrection. Because he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he says something to the effect that, you know, even when I'm dead, I'm going to see him. So it's talking about a resurrection. So even Job kind of hints about it, and that was the first book of the Bible ever written, believe it or not. It wasn't Genesis. Um, so under the last verse, under the heading of there will be a resurrection of the dead, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. And this reads, he will swallow up death forever. My Lord Adonai will wipe away tears from every face. He will remove his people, his people's reproach from all the earth, for Adonai has spoken. And so that's reiterated in Revelation, um, where he'll wipe away all tears from, from the eyes. And I think that's where John got that. So we dealt with immediately after the tribulation, Messiah will appear in the sky. There will be a final trumpet. We just got through with the resurrection of the dead. And now we get to the gathering together in the sky. So we go to Matthew 24 for that. And Matthew 24, verse 29. And we've, we've read this. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give her light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the, son, uh, of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a great shofar, the trumpet, and they will gather together his chosen from the four winds, basically the four corners of the earth, from one end of heaven to another. So that's the gathering in the sky. And then it's also spoken of in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. Mark is a very interesting gospel. It could also be called the Gospel of Peter because John Mark basically wrote the recollections of Peter as he told stories to John Mark. Is that 13? So, yeah, uh, Mark chapter 13, and beginning with verse 24, says, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Verbatim, pretty much, Matthew 24. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels uh, and will gather together his chosen from the four winds from one end of uh, earth to the end of heaven. So it's almost verbatim of what Matthew said. Uh, so now... This is the gathering in the sky is not specifically stated, but it's hinted at in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. So we won't be taken to heaven, we'll be in the sky. Right. And, well, I hate to break it to you, but those of us that are saved, we're not going to spend eternity in heaven. No, we're going to be back on earth. We're going to be on the new earth. That's right, in the new, in the new Jerusalem. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so in uh, it's hinted at in Second Thessalonians two one. Now we now we ask you, brothers and sisters, concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to Him. So it's kind of 
hinted at in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. And then finally under this heading, uh, after which we are gathered in the sky, I'll go to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, okay, so as I said, all this stuff happens simultaneously. When Messiah comes with the heavenly armies and the saints that have gone on before, and we meet him, the dead and the living, meet him in the air, we will do battle against God's enemies uh, on earth. So the rapture and the battle of Armageddon happen simultaneously. Now, in Jude, this, this, uh, this battle of Armageddon and this rapture in Armageddon is, is kind of spoken about in Jude verses 14 and 15. There's only one chapter. So it says in Jude, and now Jude actually gets this from the book of 1 Enoch 1.9, which is an apocryphal book. It's a book of the pseudepigrapha. But Jude quotes it. So Jude says in 14.15, it was also about these people that Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied saying, so Enoch According to this, prophesied about the rapture in the battle of Armageddon. He says, Behold, the Lord came with myriads of his holy ones to execute judgment against all. He will convict all the ungodly for their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and for all the harsh things ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So I think that's very interesting. And also this battle. Uh, we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. <clears throat> and this reads, In order to strengthen your hearts as blameless in holiness before uh, our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Yeshua with all his holy ones. So holy ones meaning those who have died and have gone on before, and also the angels. Now, the angels is kind of considered our older brothers because there's even a couple times where the angels called themselves our brothers because a lot of prophets are like, oh, my goodness, it's an angel. So they start bowing down. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, what are you doing? Don't bow in front of me. I'm, I'm nothing special. You know, I'm God's servant just like you are. I'm your brother. So it's almost it's kind of like angels are kind of like our older brothers in a way. Uh, uh, okay. In Revelation 19. Kind of goes into a little bit more detail about this. So in 19, starting with verse 11, final battle of the ages is basically what's the, the heading of this. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, the one riding on it called Faithful and True. And he just, now think about this. Are there going to be animals in heaven? Yes. It just talked about a horse. Yeah. Right? So yeah, there's going to be animals in heaven. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And it's interesting that the Messiah is going to come on a white horse. So it's, it's almost like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Because the Battle of Armageddon, they're going to have probably tech weapons that don't even exist right now. I mean, Scud missiles and, and, and drones and tanks. and Ezekiel see things that he couldn't explain? Yeah. And John saw things he couldn't explain in, in the book of Revelation. So just think of all this high-tech stuff that man can come up with in order to obliterate another person. And yet here, the Messiah comes on a horse. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's like, you know. It's like, whatever. Yeah, 
It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight, but this time the knife's going to win. So, um, then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one riding is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and many royal crowns are on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's no mistaking that's Jesus Christ, that's Yeshua. John 1 calls him the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were We're not even going to be wearing military fatigues. You know? And we're going to be wearing white. We're going to be wearing white to a war. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And his mouth, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he may strike down the nations. And he shall rule them with an iron rod. And he treads the winepress of the furious wrath of Elohe Zevaot, the Lord God of heavenly armies, is what that means. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, on top... He's got a tattoo. No. 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 What's hanging on my thigh? Uh, I forgot. Uh, hang on. What's that called again? Yeah, Zeet Yeah, well, Tzitziki. Yeah, sounds like Tzitziki. Right. Zitzit. So, we know that Jesus was born a Jew. He followed Judaism. He kept the customs and traditions of Judaism and all the laws of Moses. He kept them perfectly. If he didn't, he couldn't be Messiah because Messiah was sinless. And 1 John 3, 4 says a breaking of the law is sin. So breaking God's law is sin. He kept it perfectly. So we know Jesus wore tzitzit. He's still wearing it right now, and he's going to wear it when he returns. So the tzitzit, the reason it says there's a name on his thigh is because the tzitzit spells out the name of God. Because the, the, the uh, four coils is numerically wrapped in a way that in Hebrew it spells yud heh vav heh Yahweh, or other people say Jehovah. And then there's five knots representing the five books of the law, which is the, king, the law, law of the kingdom. That's, how, that's what God is going to rule by during the millennial reign is by the five books of Moses. What all the other kings before him in the Davidic line reigned from. So it says... Um, he is clothed in, in a robe dipped in blood and a name by which he is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that he may strike down the nations. And he shall rule them with an iron rod and he treads the winepress of the fury of the God of heavenly armies. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right, I'm just going to check my notes, make sure I read everything I wanted to. Okay, now, I'm going to go to Zechariah. That is uh, another prophetic book where, kind of unlikely, you would find pro uh, prophecy about the end times, but this is specifically talking about the millennial reign. Uh, well, no, later in the passage it does. So, in Zechariah 14, 4 and 5, uh, it says, And that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies to the east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a huge valley. Half of the mountain will be moved forward to the north and half towards the south. Then you will flee through the mountain valley because the mountain valley will reach Azel. Yes, you will flee 
um, like you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and I'm wondering if this is an, as a verse differentiation because the Tree of Life version goes by the chapter and numbering system in the Hebrew Bibles, whereas uh, I probably wrote this down from the Protestant English Bibles, which it might be a little different. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I'm thinking that's not really the verse that I wanted to read. Okay, now verses tw uh, 12, and 12 through 15. Now this is the plague which Adonai will strike the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Wow, this is pretty this is pretty graphic. Their flesh will rot while they're standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. In other words, it's kind of like Marvel Comics Infinity Wars Thanos and everybody just disintegrated. That's kind of what it sounds like. It will happen in the day that the great panic of Adonai will be among them, each person will seize the hand of his neighbor and they will attack each other. So this is describing what's going to happen during the Battle of Armageddon. They're going to turn on each other and everybody's going to start disintegrating before their eyes. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of the surrounding peoples will be gathered together and the abundance of gold and silver and apparel. Uh, a similar plague will strike the horses and the mules and the camels and the donkeys and all the animals of the camp. So even whatever things they have to fight with, they're all going to dissolve too. Uh, so that is all dealing with the rapture and the battle of Armageddon happening simultaneously. So since we're still in Zechariah, uh, this is this. Now we're going into uh, the thousand year reign of Christ. So in Zechariah, we're still in Zechariah. Chapter 14, verse 16. So this is after the Battle of Armageddon. This is during the thousand-year reign. Then all the survivors from all the nations that attack Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king Adonai Devaot, the Lord God of hosts, and celebrate Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So during the millennial reign, we're going to be keeping the Torah. We're going to be celebrating the pilgrimage festivals of Passover, uh, um, uh, Pentecost, Shavuot, and Tabernacles, Sukkot, which are those three specifically are pilgrimage festivals, which requires us to go to Jerusalem. So during the millennial reign, we're going to be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and even the nations that are not Hebrew and Jewish, they're going to be going to celebrate Tabernacles. So it says, then all the survivors from all the nations that attack Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, Adonai Zevaot, and to celebrate Sukkot. Furthermore, if any of the nations of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem, how could they not go up to Jerusalem? Because they have a choice whether they want to or not. They have free will. God's not going to make them. And it says, if they do not go to Jerusalem to worship the king, Adonai Zevaot, they will have no rain. So that you need rain for your crops, right? Uh, okay, so that was, all right, we're, we're going to keep going in uh, Zechariah. If the Egyptians do not go up and celebrate, they will have no rain. Instead, there will be a plague that Adonai will inflict on the nations that do not go up and celebrate Sukkot. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up and celebrate Sukkot. They have free will, but they'll have an incentive to go, right? And that day, holy to Adonai will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the pots and the house of Adonai will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. In fact, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord God of hosts. 
so that everyone who comes to sacrifice, wait, we're going to be sacrificing? How do you explain that? I thought Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Because not all sacrifices have to do with remission of sin. Do you remember what the inheritance was to the Levite tribe? They didn't get land inheritance. Their inheritance was the sacrifices that came in. So there's still going to be sacrifices because that's going to be the income for the priest. And if we're all going to be priests at that point, that's going to be our source of income and sustenance. Are you talking meat? Well, meat, grain, because they were, they were grain offerings. They were meat offerings. They were different types of offerings. Yeah, they were yeah, drink offerings. Yeah, exactly. So, in fact, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord God of hosts, so that everyone who comes to sacrifice will take them and cook in them. And that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord God of hosts. So, the last passage I want to read under the heading um, the th about the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign, is Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to read the first three verses and then jump to verse 7. See, everybody's still with me? I know this is heavy duty and it's a lot of passages, but I really want to give you a good scriptural biblical timeline of how things are going to unfold uh, at, the, at the second coming of the Lord. Word of Revelation 1? Uh, 20. So it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a great chain. He sees the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He also threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short while. Verse 7. <laughs> when the thousand years has ended, Satan shall be released from his prison. So that's talking about, again, the thousand-year reign. So Yeshua will reign as high priest of Melchizedek and supervise the activities of the Levitical priesthood and those of us who will be priests as well. So he will reign as prophet, priest, and king. Saints prior to the rapture will live forever. People will come to, to believe, live and die, and be resurrected after the millennium. And that's according to Revelation 20, verse 5. Some won't believe, and some will be deceived by when Satan is loosed. And we read that in uh, Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8. When the thousand years has ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he shall come out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for the, bat for the battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they came up on a broad plain on the earth and surrounded the camp of the holy ones and the beloved city, but fire fell from heaven and consumed them. So basically, Satan is being released to deceive the nations to have one last hurrah, one final battle. It, yeah, for real. So there's the battle of Armageddon, and then the thousand-year reign, and then there's going to be the final battle. And that's going to be the battle to end all battles. And a lot of times people will confuse these two battles as one and the same, but they're two separate, different battles. So this will be Satan's last hurrah, basically. So now we're going to deal with after the millennial reign. So we're still in Revelation 20. Uh, so we're going to pick it up in verse 10. So after that final battle, this is what's going to happen. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. So hell and the lake of fire are two different things. 
because hell is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So sometimes people, you know, will use hell and lake of fire uh, interchangeably, and it's understandable because it's basically the, it's both a place of torment, right? But hell is temporal because it's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is eternal. That's the difference. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. So the, think of this, where the beast and the false prophet are. They were thrown in there a thousand years before, and they're still burning in hell. So don't tell me that hell is not forever, and it's temporal, and you're going to be annihilated after so long. Because it says where the beast and the prof false prophet are, meaning they're still there. And that, and they shall be tortured day and night forever and ever. Um, all right, so after the millennial, millennial reign, we have one final battle, which we just read about. After the final battle, you have the great white throne judgment. So this is the final judgment. We pick that up in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and the one seated on it. The earth and heaven fled from his presence, but no place was found for them. And I saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne, and the books, plural, were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to their deeds. So even though we're saved by grace, doesn't mean that works aren't important. Works are important. The sea gave up the dead, and that were in it, and death and Sheol, death and hell, gave up the dead in them. So those who had been burning in hell are going to be judged one last final time. That was just a simple holding place. And then, then they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Then they were ju each judged, each of them according to their deeds. Then death and hell, Sheol, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So just as we're going to have eternal life, those of us who are saved, those who are not saved are going to have eternal death. You're saying, how can you eternally die? Well, you have a process of dying. We're going to have a body that's going to be able to live forever. They're going to have a body that's going to be able to continually to be restored, uh, destroyed and restored, destroyed and restored over and over and over for all eternity. They're going to die forever, be in a, an eternal state of death. Torture. Torture. Um, Doesn't sound fun at all. No. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So then after the great white throne judgment, you the, the eternal state begins, the new Jerusalem and the new earth, which is basically covered in Revelations chapter, Revelation, excuse me, chapter 21 and 22. But I'll just read the first couple verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So you have Genesis 1-1 where, you know, the world is in a state of chaos, which hints of a pre-edemic earth, an earth before this one that was destroyed, and we don't really know much about it. Then you had the earth we know now, but it was cleansed by Noah's flood. So in the Torah, in order to cleanse something to make it clean, you have two chances to wash it with water. And if by the second time it is not purified by water, it then has to be purified by fire. Peter says that the earth and the elements of the earth will melt with a fervent heat. 
And we just read that heaven and earth will pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be renewed, not brand new, like he's going to create a new one out of scratch. It's going to be this earth, but it's going to be renewed by fire. So just like, you know, in the springtime, when we set fire to our grass or to our fields, we do it to green it up, right? And blueberries. Yeah. So that's, that's basically what's going to happen. The new earth is going to be renewed by fire. It's going to be purged and cleansed and purified by fire. Uh, so that falls in line with God's uh, Torah. All right. So hopefully next week, Lord willing, I'll talk about the Galilean wedding, which describes the return of Christ and the rapture and the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb which also comes from Matthew 24, which should be very, very interesting. And I think I have maybe one more lesson dealing with the Antichrist and when's he going to show up and who's he going to be and all this kind of stuff. So hopefully we can hash that out later. So uh, I know this was a really long one, but thank you for hanging with me. But like I said, I, I wanted to eliminate the confusion from last week because there was you know, some questions about chronology and timing. So hopefully this really set the record straight on how things are going to unfold. All right, so let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll sing one more hymn. Lord, your word is amazing. And uh, to be honest with you, it, it scares us a little bit, God, reading all this prophetic stuff, because there's some pretty scary imagery there. But we know that you're going to protect us and preserve us, even if we have to suffer a little bit of tribulation. That little bit of suffering is is time stamped it has a beginning and an end but our reward our eternal state has no end and that joy and bliss of no more death no more pain no more tears no more dying is going to be all worth what little time we suffer through tribulation whether it be seven years whether it be a day whether whatever it's going to be worth it all and you're going to give us the strength and the grace to endure whatever we need to endure uh just as Noah was protected in the flood. Uh, we're going to be protected from your judgment uh, because we're going to be in your ark of safety. So, Lord, help us to have a greater knowledge and understanding of the end times and how things are going to unfold so we can share it with other people and warn them. And also encourage the believers by that because we're looking forward to your return. We're looking forward to you, uh, for your son, the groom, to come and get us his bride. We're looking forward to that marriage supper of the Lamb. We're looking forward to that millennial reign. We're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things and give thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen.